Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Sheriff Scott Rose from Minnesota, and I'm your host for today's new episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. In each episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast, we'll share the details and the stories of how these men and women heroically lost their lives in the line of duty. Our mission is to help ensure their service and sacrifice is never forgotten. Thanks for spending some time with me today to remember and honor these fallen heroes. Fairbolt, Minnesota. Regarded as one of the most historic communities in Minnesota, with settlement and businesses predating Minnesota's establishment as a U.S. territory. The city of Fairbolt started out as a fur trading post back in the early 1800s. By 1880, the city had grown to nearly 5,500 people and was home to many well-established businesses, like the Fairbolt Woolen Mill, which was the largest woolen mill in the state. The Fairbolt Woolen Mill was founded by Carl Clemmer, in 1865. He started with a carding machine powered by a horse to make wool batting. Two years later, Carl started making yarn, and then a few years later, he started making blankets. In the late 1800s, the biggest change at the Fairbolt Police Department was the new city jail, or what they referred to back then as the city lockup. The cells were four feet wide by seven feet tall, by seven feet deep, and would have two hammocks and a door that measured only 22 inches wide by six foot tall. On another historical note, the first professional American football game was played that year in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, between the Latrobe YMCA and the Jeanette Athletic Club. Latrobe won 12 to nothing. The year was 1895. Officer Louis Joachim was a five-year veteran of the Fairbolt Police Department when he responded to a complaint of a dog in the city that had been snapping at people and biting other dogs. Louis was able to catch the dog by the collar and intended on putting the dog down. While he was transferring his hold of the collar from one hand to the other, the dog bit him quite severely. That week, he started feeling discomfort in the chest and pains in his arm and shoulder. He was seen by doctors Land and Cool, who determined that Yochim had contracted rabies from the dog bite. The first treatments for rabies came back in the mid-1800s after French chemistry teacher Louis Pasteur developed a vaccine that consisted of multiple inoculations over several days. However, if treatment is delayed and the rabies infection becomes established, then there's no effective treatment and it usually results in death. Rabies can cause dizziness, fatigue, fever, delirium, hallucinations, muscle spasms or paralysis, nausea, anxiety, drooling, headaches, mental confusion, seizures, comas, and brain death. Louis Joachim suffered for two months and died from what was reported to be a very, very painful death on May 6, 1895. The Fairbolt Republican reported 
Louis Joachim was a very faithful and efficient officer, one of the best the city has ever had. Although a small number of people have survived rabies, the disease usually causes death. Louis Joachim, Fairbolt's third line of duty death, was 51 years old and was survived by his wife and five children. Fairbolt's second line of duty death took place in the late 1800s. The number of transient homeless people increased significantly in the U.S. after the Industrial Recession of the early 1870s. Initially, the term tramp had a broad meaning. It was often used to refer to migrant workers who were looking for permanent work and lodging. Later, the term acquired a narrower meaning, referring to only those who preferred the transient way of life. During this time, there were a large number of tramps in the area, and at one point in 1878, the mayor gave notice that people should not feed or harbor tramps, that they should call the police. At that time, it wasn't uncommon to have three to four tramps a night in the Fairbolt City Jail. Another change back then was in 1880 when the police department started requiring dog licenses in the city. The Fairbolt Police Department would lose their second officer in 1883. David J. Shipley had been the police chief in Fairbolt for just over a year. The police station was located over the post office on 3rd Street. The previous year's annual police report indicated drunkenness was one of their biggest challenges in Fairbolt. Out of 180 arrests that year, 77 were for drunkenness, and 37 were for being both drunk and disorderly. Vagrancy accounted for 23 arrests. Technology was also changing in law enforcement back then. That's the year they received their first arrest warrant by telegraph from Sheriff Rickton of St. Paul to arrest a subject wanted for taking money under false pretenses. It was a cold, sunny day on January 2nd. Chief Shipley was in the courthouse in a trial when a boy came in and told him that Mrs. Lewis Sage was having trouble with her husband. Apparently, Lewis had been threatening to shoot his wife. Chief Shipley then found out from Fred Kikanap that Lewis had just purchased a revolver from one of the gun shops in town and indicated he was going home to shoot his wife. Chief Shipley responded to the Sage residence and confronted Lewis. Local Thomas Leary was also there, and both men tried to convince Sage to give up the revolver. Chief Shipley went hands-on with Lewis, and they started to struggle. Trying to arrest Sage, the chief asked Leary to help. Leary grabbed Sage's right arm and hand, which was in his overcoat pocket where Sage had the revolver. While Leary was holding onto Sage's right arm, the chief was holding onto his left arm trying to handcuff him. In the struggle, Sage pulled the gun out of his pocket. It was a 32 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver. The chief pulled his billy club and struck Sage on the side of his neck. When he hit him, the gun went off, striking the chief in the leg. Sage was able to break free. The two continued to exchange gunfire, but Sage was able to escape. The chief went home and then was treated by Dr. Rose and Dr. Nelson who determined that the bullet had struck the chief's left hip bone. It was a painful injury, but the doctors indicated it would not be a mortal wound. 
Rumors spread quickly throughout town that the chief had been mortally wounded and the townspeople were threatening to take manners into their own hands. The Fairbolt mayor sent out messages to officers across the state to be on the lookout for Sage. He also sent messages to the rail yards to check for him as well. A detachment of the Fairbolt Guards, under the command of Sergeant Major E.C. Clements, was dispatched to Sage's house to search it. After finding nothing in the house, they moved to the barn to search that. They searched the lower part of the barn first, but no luck. So then they moved up to the hayloft and they continued to search, but a suspicious mound of hay upstairs attracted their attention. They started running a pitchfork through it. Then they heard a scream. Then out crawled Sage, surrendering without incident. Sage was taken to jail and turned over to Rice County Sheriff Barton. Unexpectedly, a week after the incident, Chief Shipley died from unknown complications related to the injury from the gunshot. He was buried in Oak Ridge Cemetery in Fairbolt. David Jennings Shipley was 49 years old and left behind his wife and five children. Lewis M. Sage was found guilty of manslaughter and he was sentenced to just four years in the Stillwater State Penitentiary. Lewis's wife, whose life was saved by the heroic actions of Chief Shipley, moved to Minneapolis to operate a boarding house. When Lewis Sage was released, he allegedly started harassing his ex-wife again, who requested a restraining order against him. Lewis was never heard from again. It was the year the Fairbolt Police Department suffered their first line of duty death. On this year, Alexander Graham Bell was granted a patent for an invention that he called the telephone. And the United States celebrated its 100th birthday. The year was 1876. For nearly a decade following the Civil War, the James Younger Gang was among the most feared, most publicized, and most wanted confederations of outlaws on the American frontier. Though their crimes were often reckless and brutal, many members of the gang commanded a notoriety in the public eye that earned the gang significant popular support and sympathy. The gang's activities spanned much of the central part of the country. They're suspected of having robbed banks, trains, and stagecoaches in at least 11 states. Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, Alabama, and West Virginia. On September 7th, 1876, the James Younger Gang attempted to rob a bank in Northfield, Minnesota at about 2 p.m. To carry out the robbery, the gang divided into two groups. Three of the gang members entered the bank, two guarded the door outside, and then three remained near a bridge across an adjacent square. The robbers inside were thwarted when acting cashier Joseph Lee Haywood refused to open the safe. They held a boy knife to his throat and cracked his skull with a pistol butt, but Haywood still falsely claimed it was secured by a time lock. Assistant cashier Alonzo Enos Bunker was wounded in the shoulder as he fled through the back door of the bank. 
Meanwhile, the citizens of Northfield grew suspicious of the men guarding the door and raised the alarm. The five bandits outside started firing into the air to clear the streets, driving the townspeople to take cover and fire back from protected positions. They shot two of the bandits dead and wounded the rest in the barrage. Inside, the outlaws turned to flee, and as they left, one shot the unarmed cashier Haywood in the head. Historians have speculated about the identity of the shooter, but have not reached a consensus on it. The outlaws fled empty-handed. As hundreds of Minnesotans formed posses to pursue the fleeing gang, the outlaws separated. The James brothers made it back to Missouri, but the three younger brothers, Cole, Bob, and Jim, did not. The younger brothers and another gang member, Charlie Pitts, waged a gun battle with a local posse in a wooden ravine along the Wantonwan River west of Medallia, Minnesota. Pitts was killed, and Cole, Jim, and Bob Younger were badly wounded, and they were captured. They were transported to the police jail in Faribault. Sam Dunham had been appointed chief of police in Fairbolt, and he was concerned about rumors going around town that the James gang may try and return to rescue the Younger brothers. So he hired additional armed guards, stationing two outside and two inside the jail. Chief Dunham issued strict orders to halt anyone who attempts to approach the jail. On Tuesday night, one of the new hires, Frank Glazier, was on his first night on the job and was guarding outside the jail. At around 4 a.m., Glazier saw a person walk into the jail yard. When Glazier ordered the person to stop, the stranger continued to advance toward him and said, Don't you know me? I'm the city police. While the stranger said this, he started reaching inside his pocket. Glazier, who had not heard him state he was the city police, thought the man was reaching for a gun. Glazier raised his rifle and he fired. The gunshot killed the man instantly. The man that was killed was Fairbolt police officer Henry Kaepernick. Kaepernick had been reaching into his coat to unbutton it to show his badge that was covered up by the lapel of the coat. Unfortunately, Glazier thought he was reaching for a gun. It was Glazier's first night on the job. It was Kaepernick's last. Officer Kaepernick was 29 years old and is buried in Oak Ridge Cemetery. He was Fairbolt Police Department's first line of duty death, and he was survived by his mother, stepfather, and several brothers and sisters. Cole, Jim, and Bob Younger pleaded guilty to their crimes to avoid being hanged. They were sentenced to life in prison at the Minnesota Territorial Prison in Stillwater on November 18, 1876. As of 2020, Minnesota had reported nearly 300 law enforcement line of duty deaths. Minneapolis, the state's largest city just 50 miles north of Fairbolt, had 50 fallen officers recorded, but they only had one line of duty death pre-1900. In Fairbolt, all three recorded line of duty deaths took place before the year 1900. Since Officer Yochim died in 1895, they've had no line of duty deaths through 2020. 
With all the city's growth and changes over the years, this is really quite a testament to the men and women who've served to protect this city for the last 125 years. For fallen law enforcement officers surviving families, like the families of these three officers, their sacrifice never really ends. It's important for us as a society to always honor all fallen officers for their service to our communities and to recognize their families for their sacrifice as well. We need to be there to support the families of the fallen, always. We need to make sure that they see and know the appreciation we have for them and that we will always be there for them. These three Fairbolt officers are recognized each year during Police Week at the State Memorial Program in St. Paul by the Minnesota Law Enforcement Memorial Association and in Southeast Minnesota each year by the Law Enforcement Memorial Foundation of Southeast Minnesota. The foundation is currently raising funds to build the first Southeast Minnesota Law Enforcement Memorial in Rochester to honor and remember these three officers and nearly 30 other fallen heroes in Southeast Minnesota. If you're interested in supporting the Fairboat Police Department and these other fallen heroes and would like to donate to the construction and maintenance of this new memorial, you can find out more information on the Foundation's website at www.lawenforcementmemorial.com. Thank you for spending the time to listen, learn about, and honor the memory of this fallen hero. Make sure you take the time to thank your local law enforcement for their service and their sacrifice. And don't forget to thank their families too. They also sacrifice so much for our safety. It's up to us to help ensure the sacrifices made by these fallen heroes and by their families are never forgotten. So please share this podcast with family and friends. Until next time, this is the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. I'm Scott Rose. Thanks for listening.